0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Path 11 Podcast Book Club. We are moving on to chapter three in the book The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson and chapter three is entitled You Are Not Special and I'm pretty excited about recording this podcast because I am doing it in my wellness studio in Saratoga, New York. Usually I record this these podcasts at home, and everybody's been kind of blessed to hear my little kitty cat from time to time, Leo, but uh, no cats here. I'm in my studio. It's a beautiful rainy day in Saratoga, New York. The weather's changed quite a bit, pretty drastically. It went from like high 80s to low 60s and rain, but anyway, so that's that's where I am, if you'd like to Kind of think about where is she recording this? Uh, I have some beautiful pictures online. If you're interested, you can go to Hannah's Healing Wellness Studio on Facebook, and you can check and see what the studio looks like. If you'd like to have a visual of where I'm recording this from, so you are not special. Chapter three—that's a pretty harsh way to start, um, but also I think that this is—I think all the chapters obviously have some really good content, but this chapter in itself is really good, and I like to remind people. Of this from time to time that, you know, I think really what the chapter is all about is about being humble. So you're going to hear me talk a lot about that. So Mark starts the chapter off and talking about a friend of his that he calls Jimmy. And he later goes on to share some personal stories of entitlement and the difference between people who are entitled to things or feeling like they're entitled to things and walking around the world very entitled, as opposed to being very authentic. And he kind of paints this picture of his friend where his friend to the outside person looks like really successful. He's very adventurous. So he's trying these new things. But in reality, he like doesn't have money. He's living off of finances from girlfriends, smoking pot all the time. Um... And, you know, really just isn't painting a true picture of who he truly is. And he kind of went on to say that Jimmy would believe his own stuff, that he was like delusioned and thought that he was this big shot of somebody. But really, in reality, when it was broken down, he was just really entitled. And Mark Manson goes on to talk about on page 44 towards the bottom He says, the problem with the self-esteem movement is that it's measured self-esteem by how positively people felt about themselves. But a true and accurate measurement of one's self-worth is how people feel about the negative aspects of themselves. And I remember I have that underlined because I thought that that was really an interesting concept. Um, Sorry, just to back up a little bit, on page 43, he was talking about in the 1960s where this high high self-esteem movement came in and was the rage of psychology, um, trying to get people to think positive thoughts, to feel good about themselves, that if people did that, they would be more productive in the workforce. Um, So Mark was kind of feeling like this really puffed out everybody's ego and started on, I'm I'm special, I'm on the special train. And he really feels like that that movement in trying to get people to feel so positive about themselves was actually making things worse. And if you sit back for a moment, and you really begin to accept and take a look at the negative aspects of yourself and begin to love them, That's where true healing occurs. Now, there's other authors that I've read, and they say it in different ways, like Gabby Bernstein. I know you guys have heard me quote her um, a few times. She says, and in A Course in Miracles, that you have to shine a light on the darkness. Own your story, even if it's ugly. And that's what I feel like he's saying, that we all come with our faults. We all come with strengths. Um, But if we are trying to bury the things that we're not good at and not really be humble about them, or bring them to light, or even admit them to people, then I think we're really presenting a false sense of self, which is what he was describing when he goes into more detail about his friend, Jimmy. And again, moving on to page 46 and 47, he talks a little bit more about what the true measurement of self-worth is. And it's not how a person feels about their positive experiences, but rather how they feel about their negative experiences. And on 47, Um, second paragraph down, a person who actually has a high self-worth is able to look at the negative parts of his character, frankly. Yes, sometimes I'm irresponsible with money. Yes, sometimes I exaggerate my own success. Yes, I rely too much on others to support me and should be more self-reliant. And then he gives the opposite of how entitled people how they would be how they would look at their low self-worth or their character defects or whatever you'd like to call them the negative experiences and he says, entitled people, however, because they are incapable of acknowledging their own problems openly and honestly, are incapable of improving their lives in any lasting or meaningful way. So, if you're not willing to take a look at the darker aspects of your life, uh, the character defects, the negative experiences, then you're really not going to grow. Then you're just kind of walking around saying, "I'm I'm Mister and Mrs. Perfect," and that's not being authentic. That's not being a human being. I think, you know, people who want to be inspired, they, they usually get inspired by people who have gone through some sort of trial and tribulation, talk about it, and you get to see them succeed. But in their success, they really had to look at those moments of failure. In the following pages, I really like Mark's candid honesty about how some experiences in his childhood and how he was raised by his parents that eventually put him into therapy, um, how that really made him entitled, and he really acted out more so in relationships as he became an adult. And I think there's, there's nothing better than somebody like he was just backing up and saying that, you know, we need to share or take a look at where we fell apart in life or some of those darker aspects that maybe we don't want to admit. So I like the fact that he called himself out, that he really shared where he was starting to mess up in life and some of the trials and tribulations that he had to go through and what he worked through in therapy, you know, to realize on page 54, he said, I became a player an immature, selfish, Um, sometimes charming player, and I strung up a long series of superficial and unhealthy relationships for the better part of a decade. So again, I think that that's that's honesty, and that's what he's talking about, and I think that he demonstrates it really well. On page 56, uh, second paragraph down, the truth is that there's no such thing as a personal problem. If you've got a problem, chances are millions of other people have had it in the past, have it now, and are going to have it in the future. This is where he's kind of saying, you're really not that special. You're not the first person that you know, went through a horrible breakup. You're not the first person that has gone through a divorce. You're not the first person that has lost a child. You're not the first person that has gotten into a car accident or has claimed bankruptcy. I mean, we can go down the list of things. And actually, uh, a few weeks ago in a book I was reading that was more of some Buddhist techniques for couples therapy it actually gave this technique, which is explaining exactly what he's talking about, about not feeling so special or feeling like you are the only person that is going through this suffering. And the technique was to imagine yourself flying up above the United States and flying over every single state and using your imagination and having Parts of the United States light up with people who you believe are also going through, we'll just say, a divorce. And when you take that perspective and you rise above and you actually think about how many people have gone through a similar experience, now everybody's experience is different. We know that. I'm not trying to take that part away. But when you think about it, as humans, we're all here trying to fight some of the same battles. Some of us, it's more money related. Some of us, it's more relationships uh, other people, it might be health and wellness and food. Uh, some people, it might be family. And other people, it might be employment and work. But you can't really be here on earth and not be looking at or trying to solve one of those problems. So I like that he is trying to take the reader out of being a victim and basically saying, like, hey, we're, we're all working through stuff. Your not you're, Your situation isn't all that special. Uh, Another Buddhist technique that I read in that same book talked about saying this means something, but it's not that serious. Again, just trying to take away some of that seriousness of all the things that we go through, unless it's really life or death, like we'll figure it out. And he's might not have talked about it yet. But I know in one of these chapters, he talks about that the sooner we can accept that life is just a string of problems that we are here to solve, the better that we will be. And isn't that the truth? If you look at your life, doesn't it seem like once you've solved one problem or one solution, what people will say, when it rains, it pours, right? Another thing pops up, you can't be here and not be looking at issues to solve. So the next few pages that I want to highlight will be 58 through, oh, through 62. So we're actually almost even done with this chapter. Uh, and he really kind of begins to go on a bit of a tangent on page 58. Not really a tangent. I probably shouldn't call it that. But is talking really about technology and all of the information that we just have coming at us. And now with Twitter and Facebook, social media, LinkedIn, Snapchat, what else? There's probably so many so many other things out there that I don't even know about, but basically he's talking about it's create some of this stuff is creating false facades of how people are truly living their lives and we're seeing this and we're believing all of this stuff to be true. Let's pick on Facebook, okay? Cuz that's where people post most of their pictures, maybe Instagram too, but I think Facebook is a good example to use. And you know, I think I mentioned this in another podcast where you're just, you're seeing people having a great time at the beach and, oh, they're going camping this weekend. Oh, wow. And now they've traveled all the way over here. Oh my gosh, they're in Florida now. And all the pictures are of people smiling and happy. You never really see families taking pictures of the kids having tantrums when they're cranky, when they're hungry, when they're tired, when they're bitching and complaining that they just want to go home and they're not having fun anymore. Um, You know, you might see the Picture of the beautiful couple, and they look super happy. But you have no idea that that night they both ended up getting drunk and getting into a huge fight, and almost broke up. But the beginning of the night picture looked great on Facebook. So I think you know he's kind of saying that we're we're really in this technology phase of only wanting to show people the good parts of our life. Can you imagine? if we really, maybe it should be called something else and not Facebook, but um, but what if there was a social media site where you just got real and you, you posted pictures and you posted situations of the flat tires or of the bank account having $5.68 or, you know, sharing videos of your children completely having a meltdown in, in the grocery store. You know, the stuff that really is happening in real life and those other pictures, they're pretty and, you know, it's great to see people traveling and, and seeing their adventures and I'm not saying that they're not having fun but I would agree with him that we are bombarded with this um I think on page 58 the very bottom last paragraph this flood of extreme information has conditioned us to believe that exceptionalism is the new normal and because we're all quite average most of the time the deluge of exceptional information drives us to feel pretty damn insecure and desperate because clearly we are somehow not good enough. And I think that's true. I think subconsciously or consciously, people are comparing themselves with the way that other families look or the way that other people are doing things, how much money they have. Oh, they just bought the new car and they're posting a picture of that or the new house that they bought or you know where they're going on their next vacation. And it makes us feel like, on average, that 's all that we are, like oh how do i how do I get to be better? I want to be more like that, and I love on page sixty uh, the second paragraph down he says technology has solved old economic problems by giving us new psychological problems. The internet has not just open source information, it is also open source insecurity self doubt and shame, and I think that 's where all of us i 'm sure all of us have gotten caught into comparing ourselves, um, doubting ourselves. I mean, how many people have I talked to that they, like, really think about what they're going to (laughs) post before they post it, and they put a lot of thought into what they do and, like, self-doubting. Well, would anybody find that funny? How many likes, you know, will I get if I say that? Will I sound stupid? It's, like, it's crazy. It's amazing. Um, And then on that same page, 60, the very last paragraph, being average has become the new standard of failure, The worst thing you can be is in the middle of the pack, the middle of the bell curve. When a culture standard of success is to be extraordinary, it then becomes better to be the extreme low end of the bell curve than to be in the middle, because at least you're still special and deserve attention. I mean, that really stood out to me, that being average has become the new standard of failure. Why are we not willing to accept just kind of like a stable, maybe not really exciting life. Like, is that is that so bad? Do we all have to have the big houses? Do we have to have the fancy cars? Do we have to have the name brand clothes? Um, do we have to go out to all these amazing restaurants or take three to four vacations? Like, how can people seem to be so unsettled with just being, quote unquote, normal or not extraordinary, like he says? So I really like these points that he was talking about, about comparing our lives, with other people's lives, as being extraordinary or just average, and I love the way that he ended this chapter on page 62. Uh, last two paragraphs. He'll have a growing appreciation for life's basic experiences, the pleasures of simple friendship, creating something, helping a person in need, reading a good book, laughing with someone you care about. Sounds boring, doesn't it? That's because these things are ordinary, but maybe they're ordinary for a reason because they are what actually matters, and I couldn't agree with him more. You know, um, people that I have listened to, read, um, some people that have been diagnosed with some terminal illness or had some really bad medical things or found themselves at death's door all have said that it, it was not about the objects that they accrued in life. It was about the relationships that they made. The memories that they made, the friendships, all about memories, it seems to be. And that, people, I think is what we have to hold on to. And, you know... He he says these things. I think that this is an important chapter, though, and he says it so succinctly. But I also think that these pages are ones to read over and over again just to really digest it a little bit more and really get an idea of what he is talking about. And the whole part of You're Not So Special. So what I found in some of the groups that I run in my studio is that... As human beings, we are all so wrapped up in our own lives that many times we really don't care what's going on in other people's lives. And I'm not saying that we don't care, but because we're all so consumed internally with how we want to be, how we want to look, are we the right weight, um, Do we have the right job? Am I making enough money that people are so stressed with their own stuff that they're really not like walking around so much trying to figure out what's going on in everybody's lives. And I noticed that in one of the women's wellness that I taught and uh, kind of going back to him saying that we need to begin to accept the things that are our negative experiences or the attributes about our personality that we don't like. And what I noticed was in the group, you know, the women would share and they'd be really hard on themselves. And the other women would be like looking at this woman talking about herself with such disgust. And we're kind of like shaking our heads. Like, how do you see that and feel that about yourselves? Like yourself, we just think you're amazing and we love you and you're so intelligent and smart. And then the next woman would go And then she would tell her story and it would be similar yet different, but there was just this low self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem, barely any self-love. And then the rest of us would look at this woman and we'd say, what, is she crazy? How does she see herself like this? Um, But the difference was, as we started that group, is that the women weren't embracing what they didn't like. They just said, I don't like this and I want to change it. There was no embracing really of where they were in the moment at the beginning. Now, the course taught taught people, the women, to do that, that we needed to embrace first where we were. We needed to shine the light on the darkness. We needed to accept where we were in that moment before we could really move forward. So I found that what Mark was talking about in the beginning of this chapter It's exactly some of the stuff that I was teaching and is so true. Um, I would say, you know, a personal experience for me kind of goes hand in hand, probably with weight. Um, you know, a lot of women seem to be not happy with their body shape, how much they weigh. I've had a struggle with that all my life. Ever since I was a kid, looking back at pictures, you could see where I was like really chubby. And then all of a sudden I would really slim out and then I get chubby again. And, you know, um, we're affected so much by the media and what the model image looks like. So I've always kind of struggled with that, but then, As I move into adulthood and I move into this wellness therapist and I have a wellness studio, I really don't look like your typical... I don't know, maybe healthy person. Um, Well, I do look healthy, but you know, in my mind, I put the pressure on myself that, gosh, I should be within the normal BMI. And when people come to see me, they're going to see that I'm probably about 10 to 15 pounds overweight. Um, I do like to drink wine and beer from time to time. And I just feel like sometimes I wrestle with the fact that I do this wellness studio and I should probably be a vegan and I should probably not eat any sugar and go sugar-free. And I probably shouldn't be consuming Any alcohol because is that the true um, the true model of fitness that people want? But then when I read books like this, I say, you know what, embrace it. Maybe at some point I'll get to that point where I'm on a diet where I'm feeling great and I don't need the sugar anymore. Maybe I will at some point reach my ideal weight and feel really good, and this will no longer be an issue or something that I think about. And maybe. You know when I go out to dinner or go to hang out with friends or go to a concert, maybe I'll choose to just drink water instead of having a beer. I don't know. I like the taste of beer. I like the taste of wine. I enjoy it socially. Uh, maybe like they say, my vibration will eventually be raised to a level where I'll no longer be interested in stuff like that. But for now I am. So I had to really get real about that and to be okay with it. And I'm still working on that because I do feel that, you know, in, in this field of kind of putting yourself out there and in my in my business, you know, holding this wellness studio and trying to bring wellness to people that I should try to mirror that as best I can. And all I can say people is that I'm trying. So I love this book and that was one of the things when we were doing the book club that I was really trying to work on with myself to just embrace like okay, yep, I still eat sugar. I still drink beer. I still drink some wine. I don't go to the gym every day, five days a week. I'm happy when I do get out to walk. And I'm just learning to embrace that and love myself and allow that to be part of my journey, but to not try to just say, I hate this and I want it to change. That's where change doesn't happen. I think part of making the change is that embrace, like he talks about, of us really embracing those negative experiences and negative qualities of our personality and who we are. So there's a little self-sharing for you, right? If he's going to share some of his stuff, I have to share some of my stuff and realize, you know, when he talks about you're not so special, I don't think that all of you are going to be sitting around your dinner table tonight talking about April Hannah and her weight problem or my insecurities of running a wellness center and still maybe partaking in some things that these wellness people you know aren't supposed to. you know By saying you're not so special, I don't think that other people are consumed about talking about us 24-7 to their coworkers, to their families. We are not the topic of conversation at every dinner of every day because people are just trying to work on their own stuff. So I like that thought of just saying, hey, we aren't that special. Every Everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got. I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. And I hope this chapter really inspires you to take a look at some of the aspects that you don't like about yourself and start loving them. Start embracing them. Don't run away from them. Maybe you don't even decide to change them. Just sit with it for a little while and see what that feels like. All right, guys. Well, that's about it. I think I'm done rambling. Um, And I hope you enjoyed the third chapter. And again, for those of you, if you tuned in kind of late, it's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. We are taking this nine chapter book through nine weeks. And if you missed the other two, you can go back at the Path 11 podcast or on our YouTube channel and go ahead and take a listen. And I've gotten some great feedback from those of you who went out and uh, bought the book and are reading it. So thank you so much. And if you have any other questions or want me to talk about any certain thing, or if you have some insight and you'd like me to share it with the audience for next week in chapter four, feel free, shoot me an email at april at path11productions.com and I will be sure to read them. Thanks guys. Hope you have a great day. Signing off.